back home in Plant City and just couldn't get away from it. And I guess I need to hear it again. And so we, it's, you know, sometimes things are better, you know, when they're warmed up, they've marinated a little bit. And uh, sometimes things taste better the second time around. Uh, but we pray that the Lord will help us and we just can't get away from these wonderful truths. Exodus 14, verse 1, again, rules to live by. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pehahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it ye shall encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. Now, I'd like you to turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And you know, there are certain things like what happened here with Israel. There are certain things, certain times, certain places where God puts us in a, a no-way situation. And He does so, so that way we'll learn to trust Him. We'll look to Him. We'll turn over to Him. And we'll rely and depend on Him. There's a lot of things in life we do by our own strength, and we don't look to the Lord. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. A lot of times when we get into these situations, we, we get fearful, we get afraid. We look around and say, well, there's, there's no way that this, that, or the other can happen. And so fear kicks in. And God gives us a, a, a fight or flight whole sense about us. But spiritually, we do not have the spirit of fear. The Bible says, if you keep reading verse 7, we have a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so when we get into these no way situations, right away, just as soon as we identify this is a no way situation, there's no way out, well, I understand here that now we need to exercise the spirit of power the spirit of love and the spirit of a sound mind. We can't, we can't use that old spirit of fear. God, He didn't give that to us. It's there. It's part of the old man, but it's not part of the new man. And so if you turn back into Exodus chapter 14, we find that the children of Israel have come out of this land. And the Bible tells us that on the left hand, 
Or on one side is, uh, the Bible says, they encamp before Pehehiroth, and, and, and maybe I'm not pronouncing that right, but you follow along. Verse 2, they encamp before Pehehiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it, ye shall encamp by the sea. And so, here's the situation. To the one hand, they got a great cliff. To the other hand, another great cliff. The Red Sea is in front of them. And behind them is the greatest army known to man at this point in time. And they are barreling down on them. And if I remember right, some 600 chariots. It's a staggering number. And as the children of Israel come there and they see the Red Sea, they see the cliff, they see the cliff, and they turn around and here's Pharaoh's army coming and all the what-ifs. See, that's all the spirit of fear does. In the spirit of fear, it goes down that rabbit trail of what-ifs and this, that, and the other. And that's a bad place to be. So I want to look here this morning at five rules, or this evening, five rules. The first rule I want you to observe is here in verse 1 and in verse 2, that God put the children of Israel exactly where He wanted them. Now, I know that can be a cliche-ish thing, is God has you where He wants you. I want you to understand that God does put His people where He wants them, and if they're not there, He'll move them. God didn't want His children in Israel or in Egypt anymore, so He moved them, didn't He? And it says in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, God spoke unto Moses and said, Here's what I want you to do. Verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before... And then he names the places. So the children of Israel, they were going one way, and God says to Moses... You go over here. Speak to them and turn them and put them right here. Put them between two cliffs, the Red Sea, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Pharaoh's army is going to come after you. Now remember, God's sovereign. He's in control. He's omnipotent. means He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. means He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. means He's everywhere. And if you're in a place and God doesn't want you there, He'll move you to where He wants you. You look over in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. The book of Jonah, chapter 1. Here we have the wonderful uh, truth of the matter that God moves people. And I want you to see here in the book of Jonah chapter 1 that God moved the prophet Jonah. Now there's two ways that God will move you. Number one, He'll move you by His Word. And that's what He did here with Moses and the children of Israel. He said, Moses, He spoke unto him, and He said, Moses, speak to the children of Israel that they'll turn and go here. 
That's the best thing to do is to move according to the Word of God. And you look here in Jonah 1 and the Bible says, And the Word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So right here, God tells Jonah, Jonah, I want you to move from where you're at, and I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to cry against it, preach repentance, because their wickedness has come up before me. So he told him where to go. Now we know what Jonah did. And we read in verse 3, But Jonah arose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God says, Jonah, you go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I'm not going to Nineveh. Jonah says, I'm going to go to Tarshish. So he gets on a ship bound for for Tarshish, and the Bible says in verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. See, the first thing God is going to say to you and to me, He's going to speak to us, He's going to speak to our spirit, and He's going to say, you need to move over here. And if you don't move over there and you rebel against the Lord like Jonah, God may send a great wind, a great whirlwind, a great storm into your life. And down into verse 16, the Bible says, uh, uh, or verse 17, I apologize, we know the story. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then the Bible tells us in chapter 2, in verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and they vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Verse Chapter 3, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Verse 3, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So Jonah went there, didn't he? I remember my my father said, and he was quoting his father, my grandfather, he said, Jonah went, but he first went to Whale University. And you know, we go to Whale University a lot too. God has to teach us some things because we don't obey Him at first. And you know, it, it, it costs a lot. You read there in chapter 1 of Jonah, and you read there again, it says in verse uh, 3, Jonah 1, 3, But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof. See, we, we pay a lot of fares when we disobey God. Costs us a lot when we disobey Him. And so Jonah, what did he learn? He learned, I should have obeyed God in the first place. 
See, the first thing God says, you're here, I want you to go there. And it may be something simple as the Spirit of God speaking to you and saying, I want you to go preach the gospel to that person right there. Just like the Spirit of the Lord said to Philip to go on to the Ethiopian eunuch. It may be such as the case where God opened up a great, mighty, effectual door for the Apostle Paul to go and preach on the Macedonia. When it was revealed to him in a vision by night, when they said, come over and help us. It may be that God burdens you to go over and preach and minister unto these over here. A whole region, a whole, a whole geographical area. It also may be that God is calling you from a place of unthankfulness to a place of gratitude. It may be that God's calling you from a place of self-pity to a place where you'll find joy in the Lord. It may be that He's calling you from a place of pridefulness to a place where you'll be abased. So it may not be a physical location. It just might be from one, one place, one position to another position. But I want you to understand, if you're in a place and God don't want you there, He'll move you. And you'd much rather obey Him than have God move you. I assure you by personal experience. Take spiritual discernment. A lot of people, they look around about them and say, well, I'm okay and this, that, and the other and everything's fine. And You need to see if that's really the truth. Is this where God wants me? God, is this where you want me? I guarantee you there's some place, something in your life that He'd have you to move to. Like we said, maybe, maybe we need to move from a spirit of ingratitude to a spirit of gratitude. But I want you to notice our text that God led the people into this place. There's sometimes we get ourselves into a mess. And getting ourselves into a mess and say, well, God's in control. Yeah, He let you go there. He may leave you there a while. But here God led the people of God into this place. I'm told that these were two mountain ranges that were impassable. The Red Sea at this place, I'm told, was 8 miles across and 800 feet deep. And so... We find that this is where they were. And a lot of times you get into a place like that and you say, well, this surely isn't where God wants me to be. You see, we got a lot of prosperity gospel thinking, don't we? We think, oh, God would only lead me to a place of prosperity. I want you to remember, where did he lead his son to? Calvary. He led him to Calvary, didn't he? He planned it. 
He purposed Calvary. It was according to His determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, wasn't it? Think God's not going to lead you into some place of suffering, some place of discomfort? And so God led them there, and He brought them to this place. And I tell you, one of the things we need to do when we get to a place like that is turn around and say, Thank you, Lord. It's easy to say, Lord, thank you for my new job. Thank you for my raise. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Those are, those are easy things. But to turn and say, Lord, thank you for my cut and pay. Lord, thank you for my, me losing my job. Because the Bible teaches us that in all things we are to give thanks. We're not very good at that, are we? One writer said this, If we are better at thanking God for our blessings than we are for thanking God for our trials, then we are a shameful Christian. And that, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that makes sense. Most Christians, most people, you know, they're destroyed by their blessings. I know a lot of times people look at blessings in this world and they, they look at this, they say, oh, look at this one. Look at all they got. They might have a mountain of debt you don't know. Some people look at some and say, oh boy, look at that. Look at this one. Look at all the money they got. God's blessed them. Andrew Fuller, a Baptist minister from yesteryear, he said, God thinks so little of this world's treasures that He heaps them upon His worst enemies. See, not everything, that's, not everything that glitters is gold, is it? It's not often in the blessings that we find people's faith is built up. It's usually in the trials, isn't it? It's usually in the testings. It's usually in the place where God leads you to and you look around and say, there's no way. I look front, there's an impassable sea. I look left and right, there's impassable mountains. I look behind me, there's the world's greatest army breathing down on me. There is no way. Do we come into these places and thank God? When things are going bad, what does the Bible say? When your life is falling apart, does not the Bible still say all things work together for good to them that know God, to them who are the called according to His purpose? When things are going around about us and they're falling apart, and someone says, how are you doing? Can we not respond? The Bible says I'm doing good. The Bible says I'm doing good. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, even the Apostle Paul had to learn this. 
2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. <clears throat> he said, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, notice what Paul says after the Lord speaks. Paul then says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul said, when God put me in between two mountain towers, an impassable sea, and an army bearing down on me, he said in this, I take pleasure. <laughs> I'm not there. I'm not, I don't take pleasure in it. I got, I got a lot more learning to do. But I can tell you, when I've been in the gulch, when I've been in the ravine between the sea and the impassable mountains, and I got the enemy of God bearing down on me, I can tell you this, I look around and said, there's no way out. That's a place where God will grow your faith. That's a place where God is going to do something. And we need to be thankful. Thankful and saying to God, God has chosen you. He has chosen me to represent Him in this gulch, in this ravine. He has selected you, child of God, he has multiple children of God, but He has selected you and He said, I'm going to put you here and you're going to represent Me in this situation. Rest assured, there are people watching. Secondly, secondly, if you would, in verse 3 and 4, I'd like you to note rule number 2. And that rule is that we need to be more concerned, more concerned about the glory of God than our own deliverance. More concerned about the glory of God than our own deliverance. When we get in that gulch, we get real bad tunnel vision. I just want it to end. I want it to be over. Notice if you would, Exodus chapter 14, verse 3 and 4. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Notice that phrase in verse 4. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh. Now when all this is said and done, look over in chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. When all this is said and done, notice here if you would, verse 1, 
Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Notice there, he hath triumphed gloriously. How about verse 11? Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious and holiest, fearful in praises, doing wonders? How about verse 21? And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. How about if we're in the gulch, if we're in that ravine, and we pray unto God, say, God, don't take this trial away until you get all the glory. Because that's the purpose of it, isn't it? That's the purpose of our life. That's the purpose of this church. That's the purpose of our existence to praise Him, to bring Him honor and glory, to, to magnify His name. Job said, Though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. Well, let me ask you this. What if God leaves us there? How about Jonah? He left Jonah in the whale until Jonah repented and turned and said, Salvation's of the Lord. And he praised him. It wasn't until Jonah had finished his spiritual education till God put him out on the ground. Till that whale puked him out. Three days and three nights with God leaves you in that gulch. Leaves you in that ravine until He's rendered glorious. Some of us, self-included, we say, boy, that, that wouldn't be very good. I want you to remember what He did to His Son. He forsook Him. Yet God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So even in the gulch, He won't leave or forsake you there. But the whole purpose, when we're going through things and God puts us in a no-way situation, rule number two, it needs to be more concerned for His glory than for our deliverance. Rule number three, thirdly. Exodus chapter 14. And I'd like you to read with me verse 10. Rule number three, pray fervently. Now that doesn't mean get on social media, to get on Facebook and put, oh, pray for me. You know, a lot of people, they'll put on there, you know, pray for me. They'll put on something and then people, oh, what's going on? They're, they're, a lot of times people are just trying to get attention. Go to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for prayer. I'm asking what are your motives when you do that. In Exodus 14 and verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, so when... When Pharaoh and his army got close, 
when they got near. Maybe they could hear the horses, you know, snorting. They could hear their hooves. They could hear the chariot wheels. The Bible says, when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were what? Sore afraid. They were very afraid. One writer, he said this, they were so afraid, they became sore. They began to hurt with fear. I thought that was a pretty good description. So here they were. They're terrified and what did they do? Verse 10, And the children of Israel cried out. Who did they cry out to? Unto the Lord. The Bible says in James 5.16 that the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. The word fervent means to be active, to be at work. It literally is talking about a continuous work, overworking if you would. And one writer, he put it this way, he said, it is to pour ourselves into it. So if we are praying fervently, then we are pouring ourselves into our prayers. How often does that happen? That's not just saying it, this prayer, and then the next prayer, we, we mention it again, and then the prayer after that, we mention it again. No, that is pouring ourselves into praying. I don't think when Paul prayed for God to remove the thorn in his flesh three times, that it was at breakfast, and then at lunch, and then at dinner, and he was over his food, and he says, you know, Lord, please move this thorn. It's really bothersome. Amen. I think he poured himself into it. And I'll tell you, God answered his prayer. He answered his prayer in a great way. We ought to be fervent in our praying. God commands us to be fervent. And I'll tell you what, if you put these three things together, number one, that you thank God for putting you where He wanted you. Number two, that if we seek His glory above our deliverance. And number three, if we pray fervently, we will see miraculous things done. We will see sinners brought unto Christ and saved. We will see souls, people who are saved, added unto the church. We will see those who are backslidden and gone away from the Lord restored unto Him. We will see cowards made bold in the cause of Christ. Do you have lost loved ones who need to come to the Christ and be saved? Pray fervently. Are there folks who need to be members of His kind of a church, need to be members of Grace Baptist Church of Melbourne? Pray fervently. Are there those who are sick with illnesses that man has no cure for? Pray fervently. All the work of yesteryears, your pastor, more aware of it than I am, 
But all the great work that was done by the Lord and His churches, Lord through His churches, it was done with fervent praying. We got more programs, more, more avenues, more mediums to do the Lord's work than ever before. We've left off fervent prayer. Rule number four. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13. Wait on the Lord. It says, Exodus 14, 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. You know when you're in the gulch, when you're in the ravine, and you got eight miles of water, 800 feet deep and two impassable mountains and an army breathing down on you, standing still seems like the last thing to do, doesn't it? Sometimes, you know, we ought to do something. Let's do something. If it's the wrong thing, then we'll repent and ask God to forgive us later. But we ought to do something. He said, stand still. Because this is the time, this is the period where God is going to develop faith. See, this waiting on God and waiting on God, standing still, is active. There's fervent prayer going on. There is the admonishing one another. It's turning to this brother. Brother, God is working things out for our good. There's the admonishing of one another. There's turning to Him and saying, it's going to be okay because God is in control. So it's not a do-nothing period, it's a waiting on the Lord period. See, oftentimes we equate waiting with doing nothing. No, waiting is very active. Waiting is very active. Right now, we're waiting on the Lord to return. We're to be active. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is waiting on His bride to prepare herself. Do you know what Jesus is doing? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He is preparing a place for us. He's active, isn't He? So waiting is not an inactive period. This is a point in time when many people think, I saw, well, God's through with me. If God was through with you, you wouldn't be here on this earth. You'd be home. You'd be home. And so, this is a time when God is going to develop your faith. He said in Psalm 46 and verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. That's a time when He's going to take our faith and He's going to cultivate it. He's going to grow it. 
Why, it might even get to be half the size of a mustard seed. Remember, he said, if it's even, if you have faith, even as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move and it'll be moved. Well, it might get to a whole half of a grain during this time period. He looks at us and there's the Red Sea, two passable mountain ranges, and behind you is the Pharaoh's army. God looks at us and says, Oh, oh ye of little faith. Why are you so fearful? Have faith in God. Rule number five. Exodus 14, verse 15. Take the next step of faith. That's rule number five. Take the next step. See, God put us here. We're concerned about Him being glorified. We're praying fervently. We're waiting on the Lord. Now we need to take the step. Look in verse 15. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Spurgeon said this, Our business is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies at hand. Now we're to go forward. If you look here, God commands them in verse 15 to go forward, and then in verse 16, But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. The command to go forward preceded God telling Moses to put his rod over the sea, and the water would depart. God told him, he said, listen, you send them forward. You tell them. You tell them. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Where? Into the sea? It's eight miles long. It's 800 feet deep. God said, you tell them to go forward. What is God telling you to go forward about? Are you here this evening? You're without Jesus Christ as Savior? Are you here and you've been trusting in your own righteousness and God's convicted you otherwise and you know that you need to be saved and you know that Christ is the only righteousness there is and you need to go forward, not to the front of the church, but you need to go forward to Christ. You need to take that first step of faith. Are you here and saved and and God's saved you and you haven't taken that step of faith and putting your lamp upon the lampstand and being a member of His church? Are you here and you're a member of the Lord's church and you're not tithing and offering as you should and you need to take that next step of faith? 
Do you have loved ones who don't know the Lord and God's burdened your heart to go and talk to them about the Lord? There is no way out except you take that first step of faith. Are you here and saved? Remember the Lord's kind of a church and God's burdened your heart and your soul and your spirit with something in the work of the Lord and you need to take that first step of faith. You've done one through four. God put you in a place. You've sought for His glory. You've prayed fervently. And you've waited on the Lord. Now, go forward. See, the Red Sea wasn't parted until they were first going forward. It will go against every natural instinct you have to go forward. But when they went forward, God parted the sea. And God did exactly what He said He would do. He delivered them and they never saw these Egyptians ever again. And God was rendered glorious. See, that gulch, that ravine that God put them in, that was to show them how great He is, how weak they are, and He's putting you and I in similar places. How many Red Sea experiences have you had? We've had a lot. And you know what? Here they were. They'd just been delivered out of the, out of the, the land of Egypt. They'd just been saved. The Passover had taken place. And the first thing God does is He puts them in a no way out situation. What purpose? To teach them to trust Me. And I promise you, when you're saved by the grace of God... It's something you're going to have to learn. And it's something He's going to remind you and you're going to have to relearn. He's going to teach you over and over and over. And the good news is that when God puts you in that gulch, the Bible says that He always wakes, makes a way of escape. You read that in 1 Corinthians 10.13. Or 1 Corinthians 10.11. We're going to have to repeat these rules. We're going to have to exercise them every time we go on an earthly pilgrimage. And when it's all said and done, may we like Moses and the children of Israel sing a song unto the Lord for He hath triumphed gloriously. May we come into His house unto Him be glory in the church. World without end. So you take these five rules. 
Number one, acknowledge and thank God for putting you there. Number two, seek His glory above our deliverance. Number three, pray fervently. Number four, wait on the Lord as He develops your faith. And then number five, take the next step. We might as well add the sixth rule, praise Him afterward. Praise Him. I pray God will bless His Word. May it not return unto Him void, but may it go forth and accomplish all that He would have it to. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer tonight. We thank the Lord for each one. And be in prayer for us as we head home. Be in prayer for your pastor. That he'll be able to return safely. And others as well, members of this church, return for this Lord's Day. And, and be refreshed and renewed for the work of God. Let's bow our heads. Father, as we come now before your throne tonight, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this exposition of these, this subject, for showing us these things. Lord, pardon us and forgive us of when we don't exercise them. I pray, Lord, that you bless this church. Thank you for those who are here. Thank you for those who came with us. I pray that you give us journey mercy home. Lord, may you receive the glory. Help us, Lord that you might save and add unto this church. Help her as the things that she's besought you for. Lead, guide, direct, and bless. Pray for her pastor, his wife, each member of the church, that you might use them, that they might be, be found when, when you come again, Lord, faithful unto you. Again, Lord, we thank you for the services throughout the day there in Plant City and now here. Lord, be with your people. We need it so much as we see your coming drawing nigh. In Christ's name we pray, amen.